Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. Um, We're going to jump, like I said, right into legacy, and we've been in a series, and Pastor Mike's going to bring it home next week on some different things. But today, what I wanted to talk about specifically, and if you weren't here last week, we talked about legacy moments. And what I mean by that is, go back and watch last week, because I'm not going to rehash it. But, uh, But what we're talking about today is legacy's inconveniences. Legacies, inconveniences, because I think all of us could attest, if there's anything good that you've done in your life, you know that there's also inconveniences attached to whatever good there is. That a lot of the times it's just, it's, all of us love when it's just easy and we can just push forward and do good things, but we all know how life goes and it's just like on the days when you're determined to do good, you wake up, you stub your toe, you run over a nail, you yell at your wife and then the hot water heater's cold. You know, that's, just feels like that's kind of how the enemy functions. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about legacies, inconveniences, but before we do that, I felt specifically, um, if you know my wife more, uh, she loves the TV show The Office, and by her, I mean I liked it, but we've watched it so much that I've started to like be like I might need a break, <laughs> I just time out. And so, but there was a scene in The Office where, um, and it's funny because right before bed, she just likes to watch one episode, so we usually always do that. And if I'll be honest with me, I get inspiration from anything, and, and there was a scene in the office that I felt was very fitting to this weekend. I know I just showed an office clip like a month or two ago. Don't worry, we're not sacrilegious out here. Some people are like, we want to hear the Bible, not clips. No, you'll want to watch this clip. So give it up for our tech, or don't give it up, but tech team, take it away. <laughs> Sorry, gang. I thought my juggling stuff was in the trunk of my car, but it's not. Oh no, do you think it was stolen? I got you covered, boss. Used to play with the parabolas myself. <laughs> got some extra balls. Hey, oh. Sorry, I, I never touched another juggler's instruments. You know, we're all here. I've got the music cued. Why don't I just do my routine without the juggling balls? <laughs> Prepare to go into the danger zone. Oh, wow, you weren't kidding. No, never. Can someone please throw me a fifth ball? If you dare. Incoming and wrong. Remember, nothing's impossible. Where's Phyllis? Here. Do you believe in me, Phyllis? Yeah. Because I believe in you. Yeah. Okay. Feel that connection? Don't move your head, please. Thank you. <laughs> Big hand for Phyllis. That took a lot of guts. Vickers, thank you so much. Hope you learned something. Woo! Woo! 
All right, that's that's pretty much it. You guys can cut it off now. Oh, they're still going. My juggling stuff was in the trunk of my car. Okay, they're shut. It's starting over. Anyway, now here's the deal. The reason I showed that some of you guys are like, why were we watching a clip about somebody juggling nothing for a minute and a half? Why? Because first off, it's a little ridiculous to watch because you're like, this is serious. And some of my favorites, Jim and Daryl and Pam, they're looking like we're seriously. And then some people clapping at the end. Good job juggling. (laughs) Um. But genuinely, I thought of this. I'm dead serious. I was thinking, uh, I, I wrote this clip down, is when I watched that, I wrote down the exact time it was, and I wrote down in my, in my notepad, which I have a note in my phone that pretty much if anything comes to mind, I feel spiritual, I just write it down, and 85% of it's, you know, I don't really use, but 15%, and this one I wrote down, don't juggle things that don't matter. Don't juggle things that won't be adding to you. And, and what I mean by that is I felt like it was funny because you see him and you're like, you're not juggling anything, but how many of us are juggling things in our lives that aren't adding to our legacies? How many of us are juggling things that aren't doing anything for our spiritual or family or our, just our well-being, but we're constantly juggling and people are like, why are you juggling that? Set it down. And I just felt like as we got into this message today that maybe there were some of us where if we were, and juggling meaning what's taking up our time. And what I mean by that is I think that there's some of us in here who we can readily assess that we are juggling and spending a ton of time on things that people are looking at our lives and saying, man, that's stealing and robbing from you a little bit. That's not leaving you a better person. That's not helping you become who I've called you to be. That's not contributing to a legacy that I have for your life. And here's the deal. Some people are entertained, but the ones who are close are not entertained. They're looking and saying, put it down. And whether that's, I, I'm not trying to get ultra critical and start this on a super serious note, but I remember writing that down because I think that's genuinely how people perceive us sometimes, is this person's just running the rat race and they're running themselves ragged and there's really not a, there's maybe a tiny bit of good, but not much. And today, legacies, inconveniences, the first inconvenience right now that I'm just hitting on directly is this, is that It's inconvenient for you to juggle things that don't matter. It's inconvenient for your legacy to be holding on to stuff that ultimately God doesn't want you holding on to. But more than that, I just wanted to jump in because I feel like today, if I was going to subtitle this with 14 subtitles, is a legacy that doesn't feel like legacy. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times we wake up and we go, okay, you know, Pastor Micah talked yesterday about legacy, and uh, so I'm going to build a legacy today. And so immediately we just start, our mind just starts wandering to like, what is the biggest thing we could physically do to build legacy today? But that's not essentially what we're talking about. I'm sorry if that's what you thought, but really what we're talking about today is legacy that sometimes doesn't feel like legacy but when partnered with God and his principles and his word actually is a legacy because it's a compound spiritual interest on your life. And, and just some examples I just felt like it, it are funny is legacies, inconveniences, is like even if you think about the, the story of Noah, right? Now, many of you guys maybe don't know this. There had never been rain from heaven before. So Noah's building an ark for rain that nobody's ever seen, for a flood that has never happened, for animals that nobody's ever laid eyes upon. How many of you guys know there seems to be some inconveniences associated with the project? 
And I'm not going to lie, I feel like that's kind of the season we're in right now. It's like we're building an ark and we have no building, no service times. Uh, we just moved there three months. Like there's a little parallel, I feel like, for our life. But if, we, if you're honest, though, think about it. Like if you're knowing, God's like, hey, build an ark. And you're like, what's an ark? I mean, think about it. Had there, had there been arcs been built before that? No. But literally, because of the size of the boat, that's the word that was chosen after the day. Literally, he just is like, built the biggest boat you can physically build for animals that you've never really seen before, for water that's going to come from the clouds that had never happened, for a flood that'll cover the surface of the planet that also has never happened. All right, talk to you in uh, 50 to 75 years. Can you get it done for me? What's his legacy? Obedience. What's his legacy? That he obeyed God, that he did what God, and we're telling his story still today, but that's an inconvenient legacy. That's a legacy that doesn't feel like legacy because every day you're waking up for 50 or 70 years and you got splinters in your hands and you're tired of preparing rooms for animals that you have no clue what is going to come in here. That's an inconvenient legacy. You know, whether you, you love the story of David and, and, and his legacy as one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament, but the inconvenience of he was an adulteress, he was a murderer. I mean, there's, or you like the, 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 the minute details of like Rahab, who literally leads the breakthrough in Jericho as a prostitute. Or one of my favorites in the Old Testament and, and one of the more sad endings, I think, that for me personally is King Josiah, who leads one of the greatest re renewals and revivals and reformation in the kingdom of Israel before, up till David and Solomon's time after that, it was a crapshoot, and Josiah rectifies the entire ship, but he dies because he goes and fights somebody that he had no business fighting, right? What I'm saying is this, is in all of our legacies, there's inconveniences, but with God, for some reason, he can make those inconveniences right and secure who you're supposed to be. You know, I was even thinking specifically, I don't know why I thought about this, was Paul Revere. Now, some of you guys like history. I do like history. And Paul Revere is one that's fascinating to me because he's not, if you believe it or not, he wasn't actually the only writer who rode that night. There was another writer who gave the message, but isn't remembered. And what's funny even is the message that Paul Revere gave, the British are coming, actually was misinformation. The guy who gave him that information essentially said, hey, later on it was disproved that the British were moving, but they weren't strategically attacking storehouses of American guns and goods at that time. They were just moving their military. So Paul Revere is riding through the night telling people the wrong message. But what's he remembered for? riding through the night, proclaiming a message that mobilized the military that ultimately started the war that gave us our freedom today. What am I saying? Inconveniences sometimes, for some of us, right, we look at inconvenience as the worst thing humanly possible where God says, don't worry about inconvenience. I can make it out for your favor. And once again, I think a lot of us, what we do is we sit here and we talk, about, we, we talk about legacy. And the only thing we can think about is I don't think God can create a legacy with my life because of fill in the blank. Well, he doesn't. Well, this is how I was raised. Well, I wasn't really brought up in the church. Well, I don't really have anything to offer. Well, I know they're talking about giving, but I don't really have any money. You know, I could never do what they do you know, I just, I just don't have the time. 
you know, all we think about, once again, inconvenience, inconvenience. And so what I want to do is I just wanted to get in front of it today because for all of us in this room, we have inconveniences in our life currently right now that are hindering us from the legacy in our mind. But God's saying, no, if you give that to me and trust me, I can, I can deal with that. It's okay. If you can continue to pursue me and put me first, those inconveniences in your life that you think are hindering what I'm able to do, don't worry. Those, those things can be side notes and, and sub points, but they won't be the final thing for you. And once again, I think all throughout Scripture we see, I love Peter's story because there was even an instance recently, you know, some of us, like Peter denies Jesus, and in one passage of Scripture it says that Jesus walked into his home, his mother-in-law is about to die, and he literally raises her back to life right in front of him, which I don't know if I'd have wanted the Lord to raise mine. Is it? <laughs> I'm kidding. She's not here. Oh, this is online too. Dang it. Hopefully she's not watching. Just kidding. I love you, Amy. Um, <laughs> my mom, <laughs> she's like, because I want my son-in-laws to want me back, <laughs> Carlos. Uh, right? Not only that, not only does Jesus raise Peter's mother-in-law back to life right in front of him, but in one instance, we literally see Peter step out of a boat and walk on water towards Jesus. And then a few chapters later, he's like, yeah, I don't know him. Nope. Peter, Peter, you're like, dude, I don't, you don't have any excuses to deny him. Once again, we don't remember, yeah, we remember Peter for some of his faults, but we also remember Peter for what he became to the church, for the fact that really the entire church was birthed, birthed out of his first sermon. The first converts to following the way of Jesus came from Peter's boldness. What am I saying? See, a lot of us, all we think about is the inconveniences of why we can't, of who we're not, of what we can't do. And God's essentially, once again, every day inviting you. Every day inviting you. Every day inviting you. Every day inviting you. There was a quote I read recently, and I haven't written down the, the author of it, but it was, um, some of us are bored with God, and God's really bored with your life too. And it, and it was really like, I was like, dang, that's kind of offensive. But I'm like, dang, that's kind of true. Like, I guarantee God sits up in heaven sometimes and sees the way we live and goes, man, there is a lot more. Man, they're bored with me, and if they could just grasp the reality of what I've entrusted to them. Grasp the reality of the gift that they have, that if it's partnered with me. Grasp the reality that if they sacrifice, that if they're obedient, that if they're in my word, I can use them. And so today what I want to do specifically is focus on one story um, and it's a story that I think is interesting because it just shows that God uses things that could be seen as mild inconveniences to build lasting legacy. And here's the deal. Whether you know this or not, this is a groundbreaking moment in Scripture. And what I mean by that is specifically we're going to focus on Acts chapter 10. And it's the story of a man by the name Cornelius. And Cornelius, what you need to understand, up to this point... I'm going to give a little bit of a history lesson in the church. Up to this point, there had never been Gentile converts. And there's a debate around, did the Ethiopian eunuch happen before this, or did it happen after it, and scholars, you know. But essentially what we have is we have two focal points in Scripture of two guys who were not 
brought up under Jewish tradition and custom that ultimately when they came to the realization that Jesus was the Messiah and they were saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit, it opened the floodgate for all other people who were not of Jewish upbringing to come into the family. And what I mean by that is that term in the Bible was a Gentile. And so up to when Jesus went to heaven, the first sermon was really given, Peter speaking to Jewish people of all descent. But what happens is, is it takes a little bit of a, uh, and if you know anything, there's a little bit of a debate upon the importance and the merit of circumcision that really comes from a lot of this as well. All throughout Acts, you can research it. But what I want to talk about, like I said, is this inconvenient conversation and almost like moment in scripture that is absolutely groundbreaking to who we are today. Up to this point, there had not been like them going up to people on the street. The conversation started like this. Do you want to know Jesus? Are you Jewish? That was the framing in the beginning days. People just thought, oh, it's the Jewish people coming into who Jesus has called them to be. But in this instance, Peter not only goes to a Gentile, but he goes to a Roman. Now, if you know anything, is that essentially Gentiles and Romans, those two things Christians had nothing in common with. And what I mean by that is even the Roman, the, the Roman officer and the Roman upbringing is that essentially Caesar was God or whoever was in control of the Roman Empire. And so to give credits that anything was above Caesar was essentially treason. So here's what you have to understand. Peter, we're not going to read this full story. I'm going to paraphrase and then we'll read about 10 or 12 verses. Is Peter has a dream. And in the dream, essentially, this angel says, no food is off limits to you. And at the same time, kind of this other guy has a dream to invite a man by the name of Peter. And so what happens is, is Cornelius just sends out somebody and says, hey, tell Peter to come to my house. And what does Peter do? How many of you guys know if there's somebody who randomly knocked on your door and said, hey, just so you know, I had a dream and would love to have dinner with you. How many of you guys know you'd be shut that thing quick nowadays? But Peter's like, well, I had a dream too. And I think Cornelius, yeah. All right, let's get together. It's like a spiritual blind date. Really weird, but somehow it works out. Some people are like, I'm a product of that. Anyway, uh, but ultimately what happens is, is Peter shows up at Cornelius' house. Cornelius shows up. They get together, and Peter essentially starts to preach the gospel. And what I mean by that is Peter just literally doesn't even take into account that he's talking to a Gentile and that he's talking to a Roman. He just starts going, I'm just going to tell him about Jesus, which once again, you guys, I, I think we don't fully understand. This has not happened before. The only people talking about Jesus are Jews, not Gentiles, and sure as heck, not Romans. And so what happens is, is Peter starts talking to him, and it says this. Peter's first words when he comes into Cornelius' house was this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand. God shows no partiality. Pause. Some of us, we don't understand the gravity of this statement. He's essentially saying that God shows no partiality. He has no favoritism to the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, some of you guys, if you weren't in the Old Testament, you don't know that all the Old Testament is about God's partiality. And what I mean by that, it's about God's alignment with the Jewish people, the covenant that he made with Abraham. And here's Peter just walking into a Roman house saying, yeah, there's no partiality anymore. In that day and age, essentially, he's setting the table for some fireworks to happen later on with, with the synagogue leaders. But let's keep reading. He says, truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, 
Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Verse 37. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Once again, in the beginning, this is just a conversation between Peter and Gentiles and and a Roman. But now it switches. Verse 44, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with him, with Peter, I love how they re- reference, I'm not trying to get like kind of gross for a second, but the reason is they're, they're singling out the circumcised one is because the Romans and the Gentiles were uncircumcised. They did not have the mark of the covenant. So they're looking and they're essentially saying the Holy Spirit is falling on people who are not marked by the covenant as we are. How is this happening? It's never happened before ever. Where did we begin with? Hey, uh, you want to come over for lunch? I'm a Roman. I'm a Gentile. Had a dream. Where are we now? The first Gentile convert and the first moment everybody is shocked because they're looking and saying, the people, these people have nothing and God's giving them. These people weren't raised in it. These people don't have the mark. These, these people don't know the, these people don't go to How is this happening? Let's keep reading. It says this. Peter were, uh, circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the. See, I want to, I just pause before that because I think that a lot of us, we think that we're exempt or we're, we're too far or, and and God's a, God's a God of even, even you, even that, even those. You want me to take it a step further? Even people who love Joe Biden, even those who love Donald Trump. I'm just, I'm just going there because, man, for some reason in our world today, we just can't rationally comprehend that God might love all people. What I'm saying is, is that every time that we look and say, well, not really them, God's saying, no, even them. So let's keep reading. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone without withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized. Here's the deal. It starts with, oh, we've got a Roman Gentile just wanting to get lunch. Yeah, amen. Thank you. We've got a Roman Gentile just wanting to get lunch. 
And it ends with the very first Gentile converts being filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized. See, this is a huge inconvenience that proved to be convenient for all of us in this room. What am I saying is that God once again uses the things that I don't think Peter thought he was going to step into that house and see a Gentile and see a Roman become a follower of Jesus. I don't think that he thought for a second that the Holy Spirit was going to fall. All he thought was, I'm going to come here, tell him that Jesus is a good dude, get my free meal and probably peace out and history takes place and what am I saying today is once again I think a lot of us we're trying to sum up we're, we're almost overcomplicating what legacy is we're overcomplicating what we can offer we're overcomplicating what we can do we're overcomplicating what we can give we're overcomplicating what we can offer and so what I want to do with my remaining one minute is give some tips about creating a legacy with God. The first one is this. We are his servants. He's not ours. What I mean by that is I think a lot of us, we get, we get servant and savior confused. Let me give this analogy. If you're on the pier at St. Joe and you're walking and somebody is, is struggling in the water, somebody's struggling in the water, and you see a lifeguard just dive out after him, and they get there, and for some reason, we all can hear it on the beach, but the lifeguard shows up and starts trying to get the person in the life ring and bring him to the shore, and the person looks at him and starts arguing about how they want the life ring around him, arguing about how they want to be brought to the shore, arguing about how they don't agree with... See, this is, I think, a lot of the times God is asking us to do things as our Savior, somebody who wants to save your soul who wants to revive your life, who wants to bring you into a place of everlasting. And a lot of the times what he does is we confuse servant and savior where we say, okay, God, you know, I want that. And God goes, okay, well, this is what my word says, do it. And we have an argumentative aspect of, well, I don't really believe that. And God's like, you're, I'm trying to save you. I'm not trying to drown you. I'm not trying to kill you. That's the world that you're in. I'm trying to save you. What are you doing? And what am I saying today is I think a lot of the times we look and we, we look and we say, okay, I'm a servant of God until he asks me something to do that I don't want to do. Or I can take it a step further is that we tend to treat God like an hourly service worker and really evaluate if he's worth that 10%. I'm going to say that one again because I think it's very important for us as Christians to talk about. We treat God like that hourly service worker and if the food shows up on time and it's hot and my glass is full and everything feels good, then you'll get that 10 that's, that's not what this is about. That's not the God we serve. See, here's an illustration. I remember uh, about two months ago, I was walking to the airport. Uh, we, we get to the airport early because back and forth, whenever we come here, we go South Bend to Mesa Gateway. And so I get there early, Allegiant, because they try to get you to buy your, your spot on the plane beforehand. And I know if I just go up to the counter and just talk nice that I usually get bumped up, which happens 100% of the time. On my life, if you fly a legion, if you get there early and go talk to them and say, hey, I'd like a window on an aisle, and really it's me and my wife, so you get me a full row, that'd be great. It's happened every time I've went. Who would think that being nice to people? But literally, I remember I go to the airport, I do my routine, walk up to the counter, the lady looks like she's having a rough day, and immediately I'm only thinking about where my spot on the plane is, and God's saying, hey, you should probably talk to this girl. Well, what about my spot on the plane? Well, don't worry about it. Well, God, I want this. No, God's like, no, you're my servant. I'm 
not your servant to get you a good spot on a plane. Hey, are you okay? No, I'm really not. I don't know why I just felt like I was supposed to ask you that. I, I love the Lord and I follow Him and sometimes He just whispers little things in my ear and I felt like maybe there was something going on. Yeah, this last week, one of my close family members died. We got no way to pay for the funeral. We don't have any idea what to do. It's really absolutely crumbled our family. I'm at the ticket counter at Allegiant in South Bend with four people behind me. Well, let's pray right now. And I prayed for her right then and there. And, and I got my seat upgrade, which was fantastic. But here's the deal. Once again, I think a lot of us, we're all about God being our servant and not us being his. And it's like God's like, man, how do you know you're a servant of God? Is when you do the things that God tells you to do. How do you know what God's telling you to do? Are you in your Bible? I mean, it really is as easy as one, two, three. And what I'm saying today is this. If we changed our thinking to I'm accomplishing God's will, he's not accomplishing mine, you'd be in a healthy spot. I'm going to accomplish God's will. He's not here to accomplish mine. Second thing, monumental legacies are tied to mundane activities. This passage of scripture, I think, would solve a lot of people's problems because I feel like it's a scripture we quote, but it's not a scripture we understand. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now here's the deal. Some of us have said, well, I want the, the truth will set you free. We've said that a lot, but we forget about the passage of if you continue in my word, you're my disciple. See, a lot of us, we want the truth will set you free part without the continue in my word part. Mundane activities are realizing that the truth can 100% set you free as long as the truth is connected to being continuing in the word, to showing you're a disciple. See, some of us, I might even say, take it this far. Some of us, if I asked if you were a disciple of God, all of us would raise our hand. And then if I asked you how often you continue in the word, that might be a tougher one to get the hands up. See, a lot of us, we want these legacies, but we don't want to do the activities that contribute to the legacy. We're talking about inconvenient legacies today because, once again, these are inconvenient truths a little bit. That we're his service, he's not ours. That mundane activities contribute to monumental legacies. These things are important for us to understand, but what we don't realize is that our human wiring is to want the most amount of action with the least amount of effort. Let me put it in Christian terms. We don't want God's habits. We want the outcomes of those habits without the cost of having to do them repeatedly. I'm going to say it again because I felt like it was good. We don't want God's habits. We want the outcomes of those habits without the cost of having to do those habits repeatedly. Mundane can be monumental it's your choice if you believe and walk in that my final point is this a mind that is made up is the greatest hindrance to a legacy in Christ a mind that is made up if your mind is made up your life cannot be made new and what I mean by that is some of us our mind is made up. We don't have anything to offer. Our mind is made up. I don't have gifts like they do. I can't do it like that. Our mind is made up. I'm too busy. 
my mind is made up. I don't have the finances. My mind is made up. I'm just average. My mind is made up. I can't really do anything with this passion, with this gift, or with my talent. See, a lot of us, our minds are made up and God is trying to make room. And so today, I just felt like to say these things that for some of us, we've had moments where our minds have been so made up that there hasn't been any room for God to speak, for God to move, or for God to use. And so today, you have more to offer. You have gifts that He wants to use. You have time. You have time. I'm sorry, but in this day and age for us to say we're too busy for God all the time is just the biggest cop-out. We have time. Never in human history has life been more easily accessible and systemized than this day and age. We don't even have to really do anything as it relates to food or crops or the things that actually took all. We have time today. I was challenged in this. I listened to a talk, a podcast, and a pastor literally for four months, all he did was focus on making time. And so, and what was funny is, is people would ask him if he had a busy week and he'd say, no, nobody believed him. Because people could not rationally comprehend how somebody could not be so busy out of their mind. And this guy was like, no, I wasn't busy. What I'm saying is this, is that all the time I feel like this is the one. I don't have time. I can't. It's not in the... Every time I hear that in relation to God, it's, it's essentially somebody, and I'm just going to get real nitty gritty saying, well, I just choose this over him. Well, I'd just rather do that than this. Or if it doesn't actually fit our stylistic approach or personal tailor-made skill set, then it's really not really for us. Good thing Peter didn't think that when he went to go meet with a Roman. What I'm saying today is this. If your mind is made up, your life cannot be made new. Some of us were struggling with why our lives are not being made new. And it's because our minds have been so made up that we can't change how we function. We can't change how we're living. We can't change what we're doing. And we're wondering why we're getting the same outcome. Inconvenient legacies start with our minds not being made up anymore, but maybe our minds being open-minded, which in this day and age is a groundbreaking revelation. That mundane activities might lead to monumental legacies and that God isn't your servant. He's your savior and you're his servant. So listen to what he wants to do with your life because he's trying to save it and build that legacy. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, that we are your children. God, and then in a day and age where sometimes it feels like we're juggling things that don't matter, Father, I pray today that we would choose to juggle, not juggle actually, to set down the balls that we're juggling that aren't helping us at all. Father, I pray that the story of Peter and Cornelius, God encourages us. God, more than anything today, may we not look at the inconveniences in our lives and say, well, there's nothing that you're doing with them, but rather, God, that you're somebody who can work all things for good for those who are called according to your promises. We thank you. Thank you.